there, everyone. Welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. Every week, we bring you simple answers to help your homeschool family thrive. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. This week, I get to chat with Linda LaCour Hobar. Linda is the author of The Mystery of History and the host of the Mystery of Home Education podcast. Through homeschooling her children and serving as a missionary, she discovered a deep love for world history where the famous and the infamous have left their mark in time. In the year 2000, Linda sensed a clear call to write the mystery of history for her children, grandchildren, and generations to come that they might know as Colossians 2-3 tells us, the mystery of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Today, Linda's going to be talking all about the difference between stair-step subjects and living subjects, and I personally learned a whole lot. I'm excited for you to dive into that conversation with us, for I know it'll be a help for you. Before we do that, though, I want to be sure to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, Trail Life USA. Trail Life is where boys and men thrive. With more than 50,000 members in nearly 900 troops across all 50 states, homeschool moms and dads are discovering the power of outdoor adventure and badge-based education to engage boys, nurture faith, and awaken a love for learning. Unshackled from the classroom, boys and dads come to life in an environment where faith and understanding grow naturally. Men love the intentional discipleship time carved out with their sons as together they plan, work, serve, learn, and experience adventure together. Relationships grow, faith becomes real, leadership is learned, and boys grow to become biblically bold, courageous servant leaders of faith and character. Learn more at traillifeusa.com forward slash TTD. Again, that's traillifeusa.com forward slash TTD. And now, won't you join me in welcoming my sweet friend, Linda LaCour Hobar, to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. Hey, you guys, welcome back to another episode of the Teach Them Diligently podcast. I am excited to have Linda LaCour Hobar with me. Linda wrote possibly my favorite curriculum of all, which I've made no no bombs about. I love the mystery of history. Our family has gone through it multiple times. Um, listen to the audio books on road trips and everything else. We just really enjoy it. Um, so it's always a pleasure to have Linda on. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Leslie. And I'm so glad to have a little part of you know your life over there. teaching history (laughs) we think of you often i assure you is even still you know the kids are big and we Mm -hmm. still talk about things that we've learned in the mystery of history so uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving that's true that's true world history it just doesn't go away Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't well linda before we dive into our our topic for today, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself in case they don't know you or or know anything about uh, your family and, and kind of the, the two-minute version of how God led you to write Mystery mm-hmm. of History uh, so that we can see your heart and your experience in that. Sure, sure. Well, in a nutshell, my husband and I, when we were first married way back in the 1980s, we met a homeschool <laughs> family. And we were so impressed with this family. There was something special about them. We were just drawn to the dynamics of the family and come to find out, you know, they're homeschooled. And at that time, they actually had teenagers they were homeschooling, which was so unheard of back in the 80s. Anyway, it set us on this course to investigate and research. And, of course, the more we learned, the more we thought, well, we'll just try this. And then one year led to two, led to 10, led to about 17 years of homeschooling. So we have three children. They're now adults, married, have children of their own. So we're in the grandparent phase. And this mission (laughs) um, expanded for me with the mystery of history somewhere in the middle of my homeschooling career. It was the year 2000. I felt this restlessness. Mm -hmm. For a time, I didn't quite know what that was, but I was in prayer for the next season of my life. And I felt as if the Lord answered my prayers and he kind of whispered to me the mystery of history, because up to this point, Leslie, I had a real interest in history. I was teaching my kids at home, and I was that lady who was up late at night reading about 
the trail of tears, you know, and literally weeping yeah. about what I was learning. And so the subject came alive to me in college. I loved it, but I wasn't content with the materials available for my children. So I thought naively I would write my own. <laughs> Not quite sure I would really do that until I felt <laughs> the Lord one day whispered to me the mystery of history. And then I thought, ooh, that's it. That's this mm. curriculum I'm kind of daydreaming about because I knew I wanted something chronological. I wanted the integration of biblical history because I didn't grow up on that. And I wanted my kids to have something that I didn't have. So anyway, it's funny how the Lord works sometimes in, in our through our deprivation, you know, to oh, spur yes. us to do something. So anyway, the Mystery of History was born in the year 2000. So here it is, 2022, and we now wow. have four volumes. They've recently all been brought up to color hardbacks. And it is exciting to see the Lord at work because... Like we just mentioned about the subject of world history, it is the subject that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. You know, we turn on our televisions, we read the news, our hearts break right now. We're in a world of hurt is what we're in. And um, history does help explain some of these headlines, you know, at least give some context. And so I'm still passionate about it and hoping that families will just join us in the study. Oh, I do too. And it's, you know, there, there are tremendous discipleship resources too. Uh, for those of you who don't know how it's set up, every every lesson points to the cross in some way. Either you're pointing mm-hmm. forward or you're looking backwards, but you see Jesus's hand in in all of history. You see the, the work of the Lord throughout. And it is a thread that God uses to strengthen the kids' faith, to give them context and perspective. And I really cannot recommend it highly enough. Even even as a discipleship tool, because it opened up an awful lot of great conversations with our kids as they were growing up, mm-hmm. um, and like like we said before, they it just keeps coming up. So um, yeah, especially the dark. Oh, I'm sorry. I was yeah. going to say especially the dark history. It's the very dismal side of it all that really does bring up some great life questions. So yeah, yeah. It, it's a tool to be used. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. Well, I I want to dive right into our topic for today, which is subjects, stair step, or living, and why it matters. Now, that seems like a mouthful and a ton to cover. So, why don't we break this up into a little bit more palatable parts? So, you say you talk about subjects. Why don't you tell us why that word is on your mind first, and then we'll look at the stair step, the living, the why it matters, all those other things. Sure, yes. Okay. So some of this, for context, goes back to a workshop I was doing a while back, and I found this one beautiful passage in Proverbs that I just thought, oh, this passage to me screams of like the homeschool life. So let me read you the passage because it will get us to this whole thing about subjects. So it's Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, which says, Through wisdom the house is built, and by understanding it is established, by knowledge The rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Okay, well, to take that apart, I mean, it's kind of a simple analogy, but I think education is a lot like this house, and therefore it needs a firm foundation. It needs a frame. It needs rooms to fill. And the firm foundation, well, that's where, as believers, we would apply our biblical worldview of education. All right, so let's just kind of take care of that. It's God's sovereignty. And then the frame Maybe the frame of the house here is just perhaps how we get the everyday stuff done. You know, the laundry, the dishes, (laughs) staying on top of all that, errands, whatever. But then filling the rooms with knowledge to give us all precious and pleasant riches. Well, that kind of says to me, for one, it's the knowledge of the Lord. But that also speaks to me of subject matter. And that's why subjects are on my mind. Well, that is that is awesome, and I love the way that you you wove that all together. And I don't know that I had ever actually kind of stepped back and looked at that. That by knowledge, the rooms are filled, and thought about the great opportunity that we have as homeschool parents to do that day in and day out. It's it's really really awesome. Um, so I get the subjects part now. Thank you very much. Why don't we move on and talk about the stair step or living? What do you mean by that? Okay. Well, let me kind of share first that I think these are some of my original thoughts that just came out of my own experience to manage my subjects. Now, there may be others who have touched on this 
And if so, I'd love to give them, you know, credit where credit's due, but I don't know for sure. But here's my thinking and my experience. It has shown me this, that when we look at the common subjects that most of us are claiming to teach our children, there's language arts and math and music, science, history, whatever. And it seems to me they fall into two major categories. I'm sure there are some subcategories, but let's stay with two major. And one category I would nickname the stair-step subjects. And the other category, the living subjects. But here's how they're different. So the stair-step ones, these generally require mastery on at least some level before a student can advance to the next level. Math is clearly a great example of that because for a student to learn sub subtraction, well, first, they have to understand addition. Or for them to master division, they have to understand multiplication and so on. So mastery and understanding really is a must to advance in math. As a matter of fact, and maybe you've seen this, if you skip a step and they stare at step subject or you kind of gloss over it and you move forward anyway, you usually pay a price somewhere along the way. There may be consequences. Like if you're in the middle of algebra with variables, but you're still <laughs> using your fingers to count out eight plus three, which I still do, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 with my fingers. <laughs> Clearly, you're going to be slowed down. Yeah. Okay. So I totally see how math would be a stair step subject. And I, incidentally, I think it's really cool the way that you broke those down. I was making notes about how you differentiated them. But what would be some of the other stair step subjects that would fall into this? Just so we can kind of wrap mm -hmm. our heads around it a little bit better. Sure. I think language arts, perhaps foreign languages, would both qualify because you certainly can't write a paragraph, or at least a good paragraph, if you can't construct a sentence, and you couldn't write a sentence if you really didn't understand that there needs to be a noun and a verb, or, you know, a subject, and etc. But let me interject something on language arts, because this, this subject boggles my mind. Here's why. It's such a sneaky subject, isn't it? Because it's really the conglomeration of several subjects. There's not just language arts. Uh, language arts, some would define as handwriting, grammar, reading comprehension, composition, spelling. So that's five subjects right there. Some would add to that public speaking because really public speaking may be a hmm, kind of like an end result of, of being able to master, you know, yeah. language discourse. Anyway, and I'm not sure that each and every subcategory of language arts is stair-step in nature, but I will say think when you put them together in a package deal, you're going to call it a stair-step subject because it's going to require some mastery to move forward. And then foreign language is very much the same. We've got to start with some basics to build upon. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you should mention um, the five subjects in language arts because we have struggled so much with this. We do the homeschool family favorites uh, voting and stuff, you know, and it's mm. so hard to quantify because there are some curriculums that call themselves language arts and they kind of integrate all of those things. But then you can also get each of those things and package your own kind of language arts approach. Um, so it's been, it's, it's just funny to me that we, David and I literally had that conversation probably the end of last week about how do we, what do we do with this stuff? Because it's all do over the place. Vote. Yeah. But I definitely see how you, you have to have master. You have to understand sentence structure before you can construct better sentences as you get older and more complex paragraphs and this, that, and the other. So I definitely see how the mastery comes in there and builds on itself to get you to be a communicator that that's, you know, ready to, to face the world through college or and the rest of your life. So totally understand the, the stair step in both of those. But now let's get on to the living subjects. Tell us more about that. Okay. Well, the other category is what I like to call living subjects. And believe me, these are my favorites. Now, I borrowed the term from the concept of living books. Now, that is not an original thought of mine. I've heard living books has been spun around for some time. And let me stop and define living books just in case that's new to some of your listeners. So this is in my own words how I would define living books. There's more than one way. But I would say those are the books, new or old, that are alive with meaning, particularly because, number one, they're commonly written by a single author rather than a committee, you know, so they're more personable. Number two, they're 
commonly they commonly draw upon stories, the mm-hmm. type of story format. Number three, they often have a moral tone or moral message, you know, some application to it. And number four, they're often memorable because of the characters involved, be that they're real or imagined characters. So there's good character development. Again, others may define them differently, but in a nutshell, think, Leslie, about, you know, children's adventure novels, maybe favorite read-alouds. Those are good examples of living books where, in great contrast, an encyclopedia article, no, <laughs> it's yeah. not living. Not, a not general, exciting and living at all. <laughs> yeah, a general textbook uh, would represent the very opposite. So here's a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot, but in all of your experience teaching, because you have for so many years, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking about some living books that maybe have meant a lot to your family. So what comes to your mind? Oh, my goodness. We did read aloud a lot. Um, And honestly, the first one that comes to mind is a little bit more obscure, but it's Teddy's Button that Lamplighter puts out. It is a beautiful book. It's a beautiful story. Um, And our family... really, really enjoyed it. But even as you were talking, I was thinking, I had a conversation just last night at our small group at church. We, we um, meet at our house. And so I was talking to one of the, the little girls who was here. She's, she is homeschooled. And so I was just asking her about school and that's, and she was in a little bit of a sour mood telling me all the stuff she didn't like about school. And I was like, well, do you like to read? And she lit up and she was like, I love to read. I'm like, well, you're learning the whole time you're reading then. And so I, I had her start telling me about stories and she had, it, she was so eager to tell me about those stories that she had read, but she didn't want to talk about any of the, what she deemed subjects at all. She didn't like any of those, but she loved reading and her mom was wise enough to have her reading a lot. There you go. She was a, a, a true follower of the living book. That's right. Yeah. Well, okay. So now that we kind of have that concept of living books, just as a little springboard here, I want to morph that into living subjects. So Mm -hmm. to me, this whole category of living subjects, just like living books, it means these are subjects that are alive with meaning because number one, their course is commonly compiled by single authors rather than committees. So they're more personable. Number two, they are often story-oriented because we all know stories tend to be more engaging. Number three, they they commonly offer a moral lesson or theme. And number four, they're usually memorable because of the content or the characters involved. So examples of living subjects, well, earth science, I think, can fall into that. Hmm. The mystery of history, which, of course, I'm biased toward, but it is very much a living book. Um, The Bible itself then maybe a host of electives like cooking, zoology, astronomy. Those those could be living subjects, or at least that's one way to look at them. Yeah, do you think that the living subjects would tend to be the ones that, as a, as a homeschool family, you'd be more likely to do together? Because um, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, generally when the kids were younger, we did a lot of subjects together, but those ones that you would call stair-step subjects, the math, the language arts, was generally done on level with wherever that child was at the time. Whereas history, we always did together. Science, we did together. All of these other things, even literature, uh, to a certain degree, we did together because we would read aloud and have conversations about them. So do you find that those living subjects tend to be the ones that you're able to put together? Yes, absolutely, but we're jumping ahead because I have another nickname for that. (laughs) No, that's okay. I will come back to that because I have another nickname. But um, let me me just clarify again that since I said stair-step subjects like math require mastery, we'll think about living subjects do not require mastery. Hmm. And history is a great example of that because a student who – is not required, for example, to master ancient times before they could dive into medieval. Like you could pick up medieval times at any time. It might be helpful, but not required. Here, here's a case in point. I have a story for you. So I know this young man who, when he was 16 years old, he decided he was going to be an absolute specialist on the Vikings, right? Huh. He is now a 20-year-old who has made himself an expert on the subject. He has a real high volume podcast on it. Hmm. He gets invitations from around the world to now speak on Vikings. 
And I'm telling you, he made himself an expert because he chose to go deep on a living subject. And again, he didn't have to be a specialist necessarily on the Renaissance to nail the Vikings or a specialist on Roman times to nail the Vikings. He got the Vikings. So anyway, that's just sort of an example. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Good for him. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, jumping back to what you just asked me about, well, does this mean these are the subjects you can teach all together? Yes. <laughs> it just so shows the great you. minds. We're, we're tracking right together. That's right. Linda. <laughs> That's right. So when I'm talking to homeschool moms and dads, I love to, to, to give these another nickname and say, these are the sofa subjects. Hmm. Because I want them to have this vision where they could literally sit as an entire family on the sofa. Of course, some families are too big for that. <laughs> Maybe they're on the floor, too. But they're... They're sitting with an open book in hand. Here's an example. Let's take the Trojan War. Hmm. You know, a four-year-old could absolutely fall in love with a story of the Trojan War because, of course, I mean, the Greeks, they jump into this wooden horse in the middle of the night. It's a great story. You could be age four, age 34. You could be 104 and all truly enjoy that story and take it as deep as you want without necessarily having, like, wider understanding of the Greeks. It'd be nice, but you don't have to, you know, so you can just take it for what it is. So yes, there's sofa subjects, which is one of the survival tips of homeschooling is mm-hmm. streamline them where you can. But there is another nickname I like to share. Let's say if I'm talking to children instead of adults, I like to call the living subjects the spider web subjects, just because it's a bit more fun of a visual. But it, it portrays the fact that there's endless spin-offs, right, to some subjects i mean like a spider web they could just go any direction they want and, and we hope that they do get this enthusiasm you know to I me mean? be like spider-man and just pss, pss, whatever um, but like cooking might be an example because the culinary arts could take you all over the world say yeah. by studying maybe the culture or nutritional value or style or flavor like there's endless varieties of ways to study food so living subjects tend to be these spider web subjects and I don't know, just kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. I love I love that term. And, and the other part of that is I have found with my kids that with those living subjects, with those spider web subjects, those are generally the ones that we end up walking away and Googling something or, you know, pulling on these threads that we just want to know more about. Um, so even, even in that, cause I always say we're pulling on threads. Well, there, they must be spider web threads, I guess, because oh, you, I like definitely, that. <laughs> you definitely go deeper in those because you're able, I think not only do you pique their interest because it's very interesting living information, but also I think that because you tend to do them as a group, you know, that sofa time, like you noted, the conversation then makes them go deeper because they're thinking about what other people are saying and bringing up and stuff like that. So um, definitely going deeper in those subjects is is easy. It's natural. And that makes it right. really cool. Oh, yeah. They're the subjects you just want to study more. Exactly. Versus there's a blank to fill on a page. Yeah. You know, like, what is the most venomous spider anyway? You know, Google, Google, Google. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And then they know it and they can, you know, use that knowledge in a myriad of situations as they grow up because I've seen that happen. (laughs) So you never know when those weird little tidbits that they pick up from from the rabbit trails we take will come up. But it's really cool to hear it. Um, Okay, so, Linda, we have addressed the term subjects. And you explained to us from Proverbs that really cool analogy of filling our rooms with with knowledge. We've defined the two categories, which you call stair step and living. So now then, we're at the end of that. So why does it matter? What are the benefits to knowing and understanding this content? All right. So it's application time. So I hope. I think no matter what you call these things, that there is at least seven benefits to distinguishing between your stair step and living. So these are quick and practical. And Leslie, I'm just going to ask you to jump into every one of my benefits and, you know, throw in some of your examples because I know you've got them. So number one, I would say the benefit of knowing that a subject is in the stair-step category is that that fact alone may help you pace yourself. Mm -hmm. For example, let's say you do have a student who is stuck on maybe some subtraction problem. Well, let's slow down. They don't have some basic facts memorized, and they'll need them to advance. So just stop, slow down. Or, in contrast, 
what if you have a student who is just tearing through all these worksheets of the same old little skill because he's just got it, he or she's got it? Well, I would say speed them up because you really don't want to waste their valuable time Mm -hmm. on something that they've got. You know, move them on to the next thing. I think it's so funny how as homeschoolers we so frequently talk about the fact that, you know, when a stranger comes up and says, what grade are you in? And the kid's (laughs) like, well, in math, I'm in eighth grade. In language, I'm in sixth grade. And, you know, spelling, I'm in third grade. (laughs) We can't be put into boxes of grade levels because we have the freedom to pace ourselves. So that's one advantage. Um, well, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, actually, I do because one of the things, again, it always amazes me. As now, I've got the benefit of hindsight, so I can look back and see, you know, the way that the Lord directed the the little ideas that He gave me that I didn't even realize, you know, what I was doing per se. But one of the things that I incorporated early on was if I saw a child struggling, specifically in math, since you brought that up. We would stop for a week or a few days or whatever and have math camp. And I made up all Mm. these weird and wonderful games. But what we were really doing is just reinforcing those math facts in a way that didn't feel remedial. It felt fun. But I knew that if we didn't shore up that foundation, that moving forward, they were going to not be on solid footing. So so even as you were talking... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, Lord, that was such a blessing. I didn't understand really the mastery. I wasn't thinking about the big picture at the time because I didn't have the big picture at the time. I -hmm. just knew that my intuition was telling me we need to do something. And I decided I wanted to do it fun. So, (laughs) so, so, yeah, I think that's really, really cool. What a blessing. And I'm telling you, I wish I had had the ability as a child. I was in traditional school. I wish I could have hovered. And spent more time on some basic math facts because I never excelled at math. I was mm-hmm. okay. I plotted along. It wasn't my strength. And part of it was I had some gaps in some of the most basic things and just never was able to self-correct because it was, you know, the, ne- the next concept and the next and the next. So, anyway, but let's move on. So, I would say number two, a benefit to recognizing your living subjects is to realize they really are easier on the teaching parent if you merge students of all ages together. So yeah. like you already pointed out, um, again, this is an important survival skill for homeschooling families. If you can streamline certain subjects and living subjects are the ones, for example, let's take social studies. You would not want, say, to have your second grader in state history, your fourth grader studying the American Civil War, and your ninth grader in the Renaissance. Just because some chart somewhere suggested that those are the best grade levels mm-hmm. for that child to learn those things. The truth is that would be very hard on the teaching parent. It would require prep work of each topic. Um, but here's the good news. As a homeschool parent, you have this luxury to toss the scope and sequence that comes with some programs. Not that those mm-hmm. are bad ideas in and of themselves, but you have the freedom to scratch that, streamline, put kids together. So, for example, the year that it's time to teach state history, let's all be in this together. The the year it's time to study the American Civil War, all hands on deck. Or the year you might jump into the Mystery of History Volume 3 for the Renaissance, be in as a whole family. By the way, that was complete product placement, so I just wanted to <laughs> confess that right now. Um, but, you know, really, history is a good example for this because, let's say, if you are the family that likes to make the messy project, or maybe you don't like the messy project, but you're going to do it anyway because it's just makes the kids happy. Um, exactly. You know, say you want to yeah, say you want to put on that medieval feast. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to put a medieval feast on, like, three times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it once in probably my whole 12 years or 17 years of homeschooling and just throw everybody in, you know, the fifth, the the five-year-old and the 10-year-old and the high schooler. My kids were kind of spread out. But anyway, certainly bundling works well for living subjects. Other examples you can think of, Leslie? Well, well, yeah, we, we bundled a lot of things. We bundled science. It was so nice to, to be able to do the experiments once. That was never a strong suit of mine anyway. So if we got them, that was that was a great. But the other thing that I wanted to point out as you were talking is when you are bundling subjects like that and you're you're going 
on a different trajectory than perhaps a public school, even a Christian school perhaps is, you need to keep that in mind when, if you're in a state where you have to test your kids every year or whatever, because that, some of the questions that they're going to be asked, you will not have gotten to yet. I remember um, early on, one of, I had to do an achievement test for one year, and um, one of the questions was on Rosa Parks, which we eventually got to, but we were, you know, in ancient history at the time. So um, it, it really it stressed to me the importance of keeping everything in the right perspective, recognizing that those standardized tests are just that. They are standardized to that scope and sequence that the public schools are doing, mm-hmm. and you are giving them a much deeper, more enriched look at the world, and they will get to all of the stuff that would be on that. Well, probably most of it, maybe not all. But, but most of that stuff, but it takes time and you're working your way there. So, so don't feel like you're failing your kids if your scope and sequence is not the same as an achievement test or the public school would dictate. Right. And as a matter of fact, and I'm, I'm not an expert on this subject, but let me say the standardized tests are uh, a bit more geared toward the stair step subjects than they are the living subjects. And so yes. sometimes it's just like when it comes to, say, social studies on a standardized test, sometimes they're going to just present you some information that seems you can derive out of it. So they're looking at your your tools, your skills, like can you get this from this paragraph? So sometimes they give you the content and not, you know, they like you may or may not know who Rosa Parks is, but if you read this paragraph, can you answer these questions about her? Yep. So there's, yep. there's a little wiggle room in there to encourage folks. Okay, well, I play better watch our time. So number three, a benefit to the categories, I think, is that you'll more clearly see where you want to farm your kids out mm-hmm. to, say, the tutors or the co-ops or set up a scenario where that older kid might be teaching the younger kids, which, by the way, that's another survival skill for new homeschoolers is farming your own students out to be teachers to your other students. But here's an example. Let's say you're personally the master of a stair-step subject like grammar. Well, you may then know that this is a subject you have no intention of ever farming out because this is your wheelhouse. You know, you know you're good at grammar. And so you want all those papers done right in-house. But at the same time, you may go, yeah, I'm that later, but I tell you what, I do not want to do that big craft project. I don't want to touch paper mache. So that's when you farm the kid out maybe for some of the living subjects with some other lady who that's her thing. You know, or vice versa. Now, clearly, I was the living subject lady in my own home. <laughs> I did pull out the craft. Not that I'm really that crafty, but I liked, I did like hands-on projects, partly because I had a boy. So we were always catching things on fire. <laughs> People <laughs> ever noticed, but a lot of sub, a lot of our activities in the mystery of history involve fire. Always kept them engaged. So anyway, but I was more inclined to farm out my stair-step subjects. Or once they were older, like upper-level mathematics, mm-hmm. AP chemistry, without ever doubting that that was just a good choice for our family. So I think it's good to know so that, again, you don't feel this guilt about maybe where you do need to bring mm-hmm. in a, an expert. What, what about you, Leslie? Examples? We actually did the very same thing. We did um, most of those living subjects at home, and I have very happily utilized a co-op <clears throat> for math, for sciences, for foreign language, which was another one that, you know, I just didn't feel like I was was adept enough to really teach them well. Uh, whereas I did language arts at home because that was something that I did feel confident in teaching. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's very important to understand where, where you're just not going to be the best for them. And sometimes they outgrow you a little bit in some of those upper-level stair-step subjects. Yes. Oh, yes. They, they definitely outgrew me. There's no doubt in a few of those. All right. Well, number four, I think knowledge of the categories could give you some insight into your students' learning styles. Like, do your kids light up for the stair-step subjects? Well, then they may be concrete, sequential learners. That's just sort of one definition of the person that's kind of um, just a little straightforward. You know what I'm saying? This is a person mm-hmm. that can check boxes. On the other hand, do you have that child that really lights up for the living subjects? Because if so, they may be abstract, random, let's just call them free spirits. And then it helps you even think about yourself. 
what do you get most excited about? Hmm. Um, and, and the good news is it's okay if you and your students have different levels of enthusiasm. I'd say just roll with that. Obviously, looking at the strengths, you know, one, not that we're pointing out the negatives. We, we can't judge others' interests, you know, as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, if you're the living subjects guru, just wanted to point this out. You're probably the lady that's also a little bit behind on lesson plans and Maybe stuff so. like that. If you even have them, you, you, you lean toward unschooling anyway. That's perfectly fine. I've got other workshops on how to help that free-spirited teaching parents because <laughs> I am one. That's my Mary Martha talk. If, I don't know if yes. we've done that together yet. Yeah, and I know, I know. But yeah, you couldn't be more more correct on that. It's uh, that that inclination definitely flows over into the lesson planning and the or the let it go with the flow. And you know, we would we would literally dive into some of those living subjects, and we'd do so many lessons in a row because we were so interested, and we just wanted to to stay right there with it. So um, you do have to guard yourself, I think, when you are the free spirit one to not not get so deep into the things that you love that you forget the stuff that you also need to be doing. Right, right. And strangely, I found that my kids, at least a couple of them, they actually gravitated toward the stair step. Hmm. And then here I'm this living subject mom. Yeah, so I had to really, you know, understand where they were and I kind of had to step up every now and then. (laughs) Force myself to be more organized. But anyway, okay, number five, another benefit, I think, to categorizing it may lead you down the path of finding a different curriculum. Mm-hmm. As, as hard as that is, it might help you um, reduce the guilt of redirection. You know, like, hey, honey, I really need to sell that and buy this. You know, um, sometimes we need permission to do that. But think about it. If you have some stair-step kids, they are more inclined to really need tracks to run on. They mm-hmm. they need to check boxes. They and lots of programs do that. They give you lists. And uh, for the student that's wired that way, it's very gratifying, very rewarding. They, they like to have this evidence, more of a physical evidence of what they've done. At least that's been my observation. Whereas I think the real daydreamer, artsy kid, he feels what he learns. He learns by experience. It doesn't feel the need to document it you know, with this worksheet or whatever. So anyway, so again, if you have free spirits, let me say, cut up some slack on the painful <laughs> subjects they're not going to like so that you can preserve their hearts and curious minds for the living subjects. Hmm. And then with even the living, within the living subjects, you know, you don't want to pin down that curious 11-year-old. You know, if you're too broad stroke, the real super curious child's frustrated because they want to go deep on something, you know, back to the whole pulling the thread of your spider web and getting on, you know, Google for deeper. A good example, let's say as a family, you were in the Mystery of History Volume 4. Sorry, it's product placement again. But <laughs> what if you had an 11-year-old that's fixated on World War One for reasons they can't explain? Maybe it's the weaponry or the tanks. Well, I would totally allow that child to remain fixated on that part of it. It doesn't mean the rest of the family can't move along through an audiobook or reading some chapters, but or you hate to stifle that super curious child because we usually just have this little window of time in their lives. You know those eager boys and girls who, I don't know, something, I love 11-year-olds, something is very special about that age. I think they're old enough to sort of get things, but they're young enough to be, hmm, idealists. Don't yes. Love them. They're super curious. You just never, ever want to stifle that. So anyway, I think that knowing the difference between the subjects just kind of helps you see that. Well, it also helps you understand, you know, even individual children can be very, very different. Like you were noting, there, um, through the years, there have been many times when I have had different curriculums for each child for those stair-step subjects. Um, you know, though mm. I, I've joked around, I had four different maths curriculums one year for my four different <laughs> kids because I've done that (laughs) yeah but it takes a little while before you recognize what's going to fit for which one and I actually I as you were mentioning 11 it was around 11 where I started getting a little bit more insight into you know kind of what style as far as like choosing those specific curriculums just for them I saw a little bit more um into into what made them tick and what really 
was helpful for them around that age. Because the little ones, you know, their their stuff is is relatively easy and and it's easy enough to to get through it and to kind of modify those curriculums no matter what right kind of like as long as it's fun when they're little it works yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and you're focusing so much on just the repetition of the facts as they're getting older and they're really putting those things into use that's when you really start to see hey this one really functions better with this type of an approach whereas my dreamer did this story problem approach and was great at it because he just, you know, then it was practical and he could really see it in action and he could do the math that way. Um, so it was mm-hmm. just a, a lot of different things that you see about your children as you're growing up with them. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that leads us perfectly to benefit number six, which is that I think when we see these categories, it helps us to stop the unfair comparison you might have of your students, like to other students, to their siblings, because you have to ask yourself, when it comes to these stair-step subjects, who and what is the standard set upon anyway? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, when we, it, it's not that we don't pay attention to some scope and sequence of big box curriculum, but, but that's not our master, you know? Or maybe it's that we are trained sometimes to compare ourselves too much to our local schools, you know, public or private. Like, well, what are they teaching in fifth grade? And that's not all bad, but I guess I really want your your listeners to remember that if you're homeschooling, especially if you're new to this idea, you're an independent school. Mm-hmm. You're offering private tutoring, which means you have some freedom to meander around these spoken sequences and, you know, streamline where you can, advance them where you can, hold them back where you need to. You know, one of the funny things I think we do is when it comes to, oh, I know, cutting and losing teeth, kids <laughs> don't do that all at the same time. They don't learn to ride bikes all at the same time. They don't hit puberty at the same time. So why in the world would we expect them to all get long division at the same age? Hmm. You know, they, they just don't. So it's so much healthier to measure your students only against themselves with some general guidelines. And boy, when you see improvement and you see advancement, we'll praise them, reward them. And then when you don't, be patient or you keep an eye on the issues that might be slowing them down because hmm. Certainly slowing down or, or when a child can't advance, that, that may be just pointing us toward sight issues, sensory issues, hearing issues. You know, maybe you're going to need some, you know, guidance on those matters because right. you'll know. And so, yes, we do certainly sometimes compare our children against each other because you're like, well, so-and-so got it then. But anyway, I think you got my, my gist well, there. Well, yeah, and it's so it's such a benefit for us as homeschool parents because not only is it a great reminder not to compare them with one another, but the other side of that is those kids that were they in a traditional brick and mortar school who where they didn't have any flexibility, they would probably feel like they were really dumb, they were really behind, that they, you know, couldn't do whatever. Whereas we have the opportunity to not only set them up for success, but encourage them every step of the way. Um, and that's that is something that's a real privilege as a homeschool parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me hit our last benefit because I told you I had seven. So let's <laughs> let's head down our final stretch. I think seeing the subjects as stairs that we're living might help parents adjust their unrealistic expectations. Hmm. So let me just use myself as an example. Oh, Leslie, if you knew me. <laughs> As a child, if you knew me in my younger years, believe me, no one would have predicted that I would ever even care about the living subject of world history. I mean, trust me, I was too immature. I was self-absorbed. I showed no promise, not through grammar school, not through junior high, not through high school. I just didn't. I I didn't have strong writing skills. I, I To be honest, history bored me because all I had were those boring textbooks written by committees, but my deep interest grew as a result of the work of the Lord, for one. I got saved when I was 17, so for one, my my spiritual mind was open to there being, you know, more to the story, but then also in college, I finally sat under some professors that told stories about historical figures, and I was like, wait, what? This is history, so I fell in love with a subject. And I guess I just want to say, don't be too hard on the students you have who are unenthused right now about all their subjects, right? A category or two, maybe they're not there, but interest can grow with time. 
you know, I was actually 40 years old before I started writing The Mystery of History. So I guess technically I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> anyway, I had to throw that out there. In defense of all the free-spirited children who aren't showing promise, <laughs> got them well, some slack and pray for them. Exactly. Well, and sometimes I found... Um, I found out later, didn't even know what was happening. The student that I would have said was the least interested in any scholastic learning whatsoever. Um, now that he's, you know, quite grown, I found that he was reading every night in his room. He was pouring over stuff. He wasn't as interested in the stuff that was expected of him, which, you know, that's that's a whole different thing. But it wasn't that he wasn't interested in learning. He was very interested in learning what he was interested in learning. So he was mm-hmm. teaching himself all of this stuff, and I had no idea. He's still a ridiculously avid reader who is continuing to learn so, so much. Um, he just didn't see the need in some of the some of the stuff right. set before him. Sure. Um, but yeah. it is cool to note that, that they can be learning even in ways that you don't see, but you're going to see this, the effects of that in their conversation, in the stuff that they have understanding of that you're like, wow, where did that come from? Um, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of signs, um, but but you may find that some of those free spirits that don't see the need in, in the stuff you're putting in front of them may be learning a lot in other ways that you're not even aware of. Right. Oh, the beauty of being self-taught. And yeah. Yeah, that's what we want is to is to develop lifetime learners, you know, who are just always interested in learning. Yeah, yeah. It's a lifelong skill. Exactly. Amen and amen. Yeah. Well, listen, I wanted wanted to end today on giving a little challenge to our listeners. I sort of have, I have a hands-on assignment, okay? So I get to play teacher here. But no, in all seriousness, here's what I think would be helpful. Is I would encourage you to pull your materials off the shelf. Now, if there's too many of them, maybe you just work by post-its. But I want you to start making two piles. Make a pile out of what you would say, oh, you know, now that I think about it, that's clearly a stair-step subject. And then make a pile of your living subjects. And if it's an unknown, just drop it in the middle. But, and again, if your piles are too big, just stick post-its on your different curriculum. But what I'd love you to do with these piles is first and foremost, pray over them. Thank God that by knowledge, which is what these books represent, that you can fill the rooms of your homeschool with these pleasant and precious riches. I mean, we are so well-resourced here. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my goodness, it's it's amazing. It's amazing it is available to our minds today. So first, pray and thank God for, this, for these things. But the number two, I would say, staring at the files, really ponder ways it could improve your homeschool with this organization in mind, just be open-minded to make some tweaks. So I'll give you a couple suggestions of what might come to your mind. Like some of you folks probably need to make lists. Maybe you need to make lesson plans because you're realizing, wow, I really do have a very structured child who is going to do better on this stair-step subject. So maybe you need to step up to the plate. That's what I had to do (laughs) with my kids. And then some of you, on the other hand, need to delegate to your older kids to teach your younger kids, or you need to farm out subjects that you're just like, you know, the truth is I really do struggle with that. So that's an application. Some of you might want to actually consider summer school because you've neglected some of the living subjects Mm -hmm. because you felt so much pressure to master the stair-step subjects. And I know where that comes from. We have a, we live in a world that greatly measures, right? And that's not all bad. And, but what's nice about living subjects is they're kind of immeasurable. That's how I'd like to look at them. So maybe you need summer school to add some of these electives in, and some of them great for that, unless you're already homeschooling year-round, which many do. And last, some of you just might want to consider flip-flopping your daily schedule because perhaps you've been trying to switch gears frequently, like you went from a stair-step to a living to a stair-step to a living, and you're like, I wonder why we're crazy at the end of the day. Maybe it would help if you, for example, streamlined Stair step in the morning. You know, like, let's just knock this out. Not necessarily at 8, 9, and 10, because I know I never liked being confined to hours, but maybe it's just generally speaking, we're going to carve out time for these subjects because mom does need to kind of give some individual guidance as much as possible because people are on different levels. But then 
after lunch, perhaps the great reward is that um, once those subjects are out of the way, that you get to reward yourself with the living subjects in the afternoon, and that's when you're doing history or science or a little bit more, you know, fun hands-on things. I know for me, it was just important to have that differentiation. Yep. And again, it's because, I don't know, uh, well, for me, living subjects were the reward. Now, you might be the opposite person, you know, who's like, let's get that living fun stuff out of the way and then get down to the, you know, the rewarding more concrete subjects later, whatever works. But just thinking about it might be a positive step. Oh, absolutely. Well, Linda, we are coming to the end of our time, but I want to uh, want to ask before we sign off, how can our listeners find you, follow you, learn more about you? Um, are there any resources you want to tell us about before we close out today? Yes, sure. First of all, I will be joining you at Pigeon Forge, so I cannot wait to see you guys in that Yay. new location. Second, I do have a brand new podcast myself, and it's titled The Mystery of Home Education. Hmm. So now that I have all four volumes of The Mystery of History in color and in hardback, it was time for me to shift gears a little bit. So I'm stepping into just talking of my about my homeschool experience. So there is that. And you can find that podcast through my website, where you can also peek at my materials. And so that's themysteryofhistory.com. Awesome. You can also subscribe to my newsletter and blog there if you're, you know, there anyway. So, yeah, that, that would be how you could follow me. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we will make sure that we give all of those links in the show notes. <clears throat> I'm also going to um, kind of lay out that assignment that you gave us in the show notes so that if people want to look at it and kind of walk through, go to the show notes for the today's episode and you'll be able to find that along with all of those links to connect with Linda there. So, uh, Linda, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Leslie. It was a treat, and it's always good to be with you guys. Thank you. And to everyone else out there, I I trust that this has been a real help to you. I found it eye-opening, and it was nice to think back and kind of connect some dots with the way that she she laid out the difference between those living subjects and those stair-step subjects. And actually, even though I'm pretty far down the line, made a lot of things make sense. So I hope that that was helpful for you. And as you are in the daily grind of teaching both of those right now, I hope that it'll help you have some context for it and get some order to those things. So be sure that you check the show notes. I will give you those little assignments that she laid out um, so that if you didn't get them written down, you can see them. And we'll also connect to all things Linda LaCour Hobar there. So thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently, so we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events, and then throughout the year when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community. Check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.